Good morning. It's good to open up God's Word with you and be able to sing these glorious truths and, and really set our thought and attention upon Christ our Savior this Christmas season. A uh, question I want to propose to you, or at least ask of you, is what would make you so happy that you would burst out in jubilant song? Some of you are like, I don't sing. I don't burst out into anything. But I want you just to entertain that for a minute. What would it take? What, would, what good news would have to come into your world that you just lose all control and you are just bursting in song, dancing and singing? Some of you are like, I do this every day. It doesn't take much. Others of you are like, I can't think of a single thing that would ever cause this to happen. But maybe, maybe it would be, perhaps you have a loved one that you, you care about, and, uh, and you find out they've been cured of a terminal disease, and that though you thought you had lost them forever, they're now coming home. You, you, you might rejoice and break out in song, perhaps. Maybe it was that you would get that phone call you've been longing to hear that you have been hired, that you've gotten that promotion or that, that dream job or You've been told you, you have received. Or maybe, maybe it's that person you've had an eye on. And, uh, and you ask them out on a date and they say yes. And you're like, oh my word. Now those of us who are married, that shouldn't be happening right now. But maybe you're thinking about the time that that did happen. And, and that person's now married to you. And you can remember, oh yes, I remember when she said yes. I couldn't believe it. Uh, I have a story about that. My wife didn't even know we were going on a date. And when I thought we were, she said yes, and uh, she just thought we were hanging out with friends. But anyway, I was still elated. <laughs> Maybe you've been trying to have a child. You, you get that pregnancy test, and it's positive. Or maybe it would be the news that all your debts have been eliminated by an anonymous donor. All of them wiped out. Would any of these things cause you to rejoice? Surely there are something. Maybe it's not one of those things, but maybe there's something in your mind and you could just entertain me for a minute. What would it be that would absolutely cause you to be so elated that you would just burst out in song? Maybe it would be the most ridiculous song, but it would be song. And you would just be singing about the great uh, news that you had received. Well, it is such excitement that we should be thinking as we come to this song in Mary. That she has heard good news, such news that has literally caused her to burst out in jubilant song. And what is this news that has made Mary so ecstatic? It is the news that the Messiah will be born in nine months. And that she will be his mother. That is the news that has caused her to fill her heart so much that it just bursts out in song. This is the child that all Israel had been waiting centuries, hoping and waiting that this child would be born. And, and she hears, not only will this child be born, but he will be born to you. Even her relative, Elizabeth, shares in her enthusiasm you might look in verse 42 where Elizabeth says, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. 
This is the excitement that is, that is being shared by these two women. And hearing this as Elizabeth comes in, it's almost like it's just the extra dose of excitement that bursts uh, Mary's heart wide open in song and her joy just begins to come through. And this song that we see here in verses 46 through 55, which is known historically as the Magnificent. This psalm, or hymn, if you want to put it, is, is one of the most famous songs in all of Christianity. It's known as the Magnificent because that is the first word, magnify, uh, in, in the text. And in the Old Latin, which was the dominant translation through much of church history, it had become known as the Magnificent. And it's one of the most famous songs in the history of Christianity, uh, been put to tune and sung throughout the history of the church. In fact, even Johann Sebastian Bach puts a, a magnificent uh, orchestra together, all wrapped around this passage in Mary's song. This song, as we're going to look at it, reveals the deep longings of Mary's soul. But it also reveals her rich familiarity with the Old Testament prayers, the Psalms, and the stories of God's mighty works throughout history on behalf of his people. This song most uh, naturally aligns with another Old Testament song or, or hymn. You might remember Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Many of the, the same themes are, are at work here that were there. Perhaps Mary had been praying that prayer herself and, and found great uh, um, um, identification with Hannah, and, and, and so it's no surprise that her hymn here looks a lot like that. But not only that, but every line of Mary's hymn, it is absolutely steeped, saturated, soaked up in the scriptures, which is clear that the word of God was dear to her heart. She was truly a woman who meditated on the word of God day and night. God's word was hidden in her heart. And what we see here is that she has delighted herself in the Lord and he has given her the desires of her heart. And so we see her, her soul magnifies the Lord. What a beautiful thought. Her soul magnifies the Lord and her spirit rejoices in God, her Savior. And this song is is written down and is now given to us so that we too may share in Mary's joy, that we too, our souls, would magnify God. And we would find great joy in him as we consider his great displays of mercy, power, and faithfulness through the birth of Jesus, his son. This morning, I want us to magnify the Lord. I want us to leave here lifting up our souls. I want us saying, yes, the good news of Jesus Christ overwhelms me with joy. And that we would have some sense of the same gratitude and praise that we see here in the mother of our Lord. And so as Mary begins, I want us to begin. I want us to magnify the Lord, first of all, for his mercy. It is his mercy that she begins with. And she says in verse 48, For God, uh, he has looked on the humble state of his servant. 
Why does her soul magnify? Why is she overwhelmed with joy? Because God has looked upon my lowly estate. God has seen me. God looks upon me. He sees my lowliness. What Mary is expressing here in verse 48 is is a truth we have already seen in the words of our Lord. We have seen these truths in the Beatitudes in particular. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For it is they who will be what? Satisfied. It is these lowly ones, those who are hungering, those who are poor, those who are mourning, those who are meek, that God shows his favor upon. And Mary is is ecstatic over this. That God looks upon her is an expression of his favor towards her. It's not just an expression that, oh my, uh, God's eyes happen to uh, see Mary and, and she's like, oh good, he noticed No, it is a gaze of his favor, a sign of his loving care for her. This is really an expression and response to what Gabriel has already told her. Look in verse 30. As Gabriel appears to her, no doubt uh, any of us would be totally caught off guard, uh, maybe struck with fear. Gabriel says to Mary, do not be afraid. And why? Why doesn't she need to be afraid? For you have found favor with God. I don't know about you, but I sometimes need to be reminded that I have found favor with God. That God has looked upon me. And this is what Mary has heard and she knows and it has overwhelmed her soul. That God has looked with his grace, with his favor, his mercy upon her. Well, what is it? What what is the favor? What is the the expression of this care that God has shown to her? Well, it's that she will conceive in her womb and she will give birth to a son, to Jesus. And what she finds out from Gabriel is that he will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And he will be given the throne of David, upon which he is going to reign forever and ever. What she is realizing, what news that is being brought to her, is that she will be the mother of the Messiah. She will be the mother of the King, who will deliver God's people from their sins, And he will remove the curse of evil and sin from the face of the earth forever. The favor of the Lord is his mercy. We are seeing God's mercy come. Yes, particularly to Mary, but but it is God's mercy to the world that is going to come through Mary. God's mercy has come. God's favor has come. And no doubt, Mary, like all the faithful saints of old, had been longing for the day in which God's deliverance would come. And not only is it going to come, but God is going to use her as the instrument of bringing his mercy to the world. God does above and beyond what we ask and think, doesn't he? And what we see here is that this mercy is not just for Mary. 
Her, her jubilant excitement isn't just the fact that God has shown mercy to her. It's the fact of what all that is happening is going to mean for the world. This mercy is not just for Mary, but it is for peoples in every generation. She hints at that in the end of verse 48. For behold, from now on, all generations are going to call me blessed. Because blessing is going to come through me and my son to the world. She goes on in verse 50, and she expounds upon how this mercy is coming to the world. She says, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary here is singing from an intimate knowledge of God's abundant mercy toward her and says, guess what? I am rejoicing because this same mercy which I am tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, it comes to all who fear the Lord. In every generation, forever and ever, God's mercy is going to be like a wave that overwhelms and, and fills your heart with joy. And she is rejoicing in the greatness of her God and the mercy that is going to extend to every person who knows him and knows him right. And who bows their knee and confesses that he is Lord. To all who fear him, this mercy is going to come. And so it's important for us to realize and to even ask ourselves, well, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, Mary has already modeled that. And, and really what we see here in verses 46 through 49 is expounded to the nations in the rest of the verse. Everything that Mary experiences, she rejoices because it's going to overflow to everyone else who has feared the Lord like she has feared the Lord. Mary expresses it well when she confesses to the Lord, He has looked upon my humble estate, my lowliness. Mary sees herself and confesses that she is God's humble servant. You see that? I'm a servant. She confesses that. Upon hearing the word that she would be the mother of the Messiah, look at how she responds in verse 38. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. You see that? What humbleness what news, what God's word has said and what it means for me, let it be. Because I am your servant. By calling herself God's handmaiden, that's what she's saying. By calling herself God's handmaiden, she recognizes her lowly position before God. She doesn't presume upon him. She doesn't demand or expect things from him. She knows that she too is a sinner in need of redemption. And, and whatever favor that he may bestow upon her, oh, that is overwhelming. That is more than enough. Whatever your word may say, I am your servant, let it be. Oh, that we would be able to say that. Just as Jesus teaches us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will be done, but your will be done. Mary exemplifies this heart of one who fears the Lord. And so she has humbly drawn near to, 
to him. And she, she is devoting herself here, we see, to God's word, to God's will, to God's plan. Later, she is going to be told that a sword is going to pierce her soul. Yes, this, this promise of God's mercy is coming, and it is, it is just magnificent to her. But she's going to find out that she's going to learn, just as the disciples are going to have to learn, that glory is going to come through a cross. And yet it is this heart that she has here that is going to carry her through the suffering and the agony as she will look upon her son who is lifted up on the cross. And we too need to realize that, that, that those who fear the Lord say, I'm your servant. Let it be unto me as you have spoken. Is that our heart? That was Mary's heart here. And it's this posture and demeanor which, which we see draws God's gaze. Do you see your lowly estate? Do you see your need for redemption? Mary did. And she cries out to him in faith. And what we see in her cry of faith, her, her exuberance, her trust in the Lord that mercy will come to you as well through her son. And so it's because of God's great mercy in Christ that Mary magnifies him. But also her soul magnifies the Lord because he's mighty. He's powerful. She magnifies the Lord for his power. Look in verse 49. She continues to, to expound upon why her soul magnifies the Lord, why she finds joy in the Lord, because verse 49, he who is mighty has done great things for me. He who is mighty is doing a mighty work for me. Can you say that? Do you know God's power and his mercy in such an intimate fashion that you say, he has done great things for me. Not just for the people, but for me. Mary can she expresses her praise by calling him the mighty one. She, she recalls uh, the way in which the saints of old have, have reflected upon God's great acts of deliverance in the past. In fact, when you see psalms and hymns break out in the scriptures, often they, they reflect upon God's great works of power and wonder in delivering his people. And one readily that comes to mind is the Exodus. You will find the song of Moses at the end. Why is there a song? Because great acts of deliverance have come. And God is known to be the mighty one who is, who is mighty to save. He is powerful and, and nothing that he does can be thwarted. I also think about Deborah's song where she rejoices in the, in the great might of the Lord for delivering Israel's enemies into her hand. And so in the same way, Mary shares in their songs. It even echoes their, their hymns, and it's just saturated. I mean, there were so many psalms and Old Testament passages that are they're linked and possibly alluded to here that we would be here all day if we went through and read them all. This passage is absolutely saturated in the Word of God. And what she is seeing here is that, that God's great power is on display. She is reflecting upon the magnitude of God's mighty deeds done for her. And what we see is that what 
God is going to do through her pales or makes all the other things pale in comparison. This mighty deed is the greatest of all acts of deliverance. This is the culmination of all the other mighty things that God has done. And what is it that God has done? Well, Mary sees the might of the Lord enacted through the miraculous conception of this child by the Holy Spirit. This one isn't on the same grand scale, if you will, at this point. This is, a, 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 at this point, it seems that only Mary, possibly Joseph and Elizabeth, know about this mighty deed that has been done. It's not on the same scale by which all of Egypt may see the plagues coming down. But yet this is more remarkable than even that. As Gabriel had explained to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Of all God's mighty deeds done for his people, none compares to the incarnation of Christ where God becomes a man. This is the culmination of God's great power and might. I mean, I can get my mind around gnats and frogs and darkness and rivers turned to blood. I can get that. My mind can't contain the incarnation. This is far greater than you can even imagine. And he's going to do this work through Mary. As John's gospel articulates it, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The whole New Testament declares and expounds upon this reality that Jesus is both truly human and truly God. Paul says it this way, the Philippians, though he was in the form of God, Jesus took on the form of a servant, that he was born in the likeness of men. This is the great mighty deed that God has done, not only for Mary, but also for us. And this has occurred through the power of the Holy Spirit, whereby God opens the womb of a woman who's never known a man. I mean, just let that sink in. All throughout the Old Testament, you see these miraculous stories of God opening up the womb that has been closed. But all those women were married and had known a man. This woman's not even married yet. And she has not known a man. And God opens her womb and conceives this child. This child was conceived by the Holy Spirit, not in some erotic sense, but through the creative act of God himself. And so in this way, Jesus, get this, he doesn't share the sinful nature of Adam. He, doesn't, he isn't born as a son of Adam in the sense that he, bear, he, he carries on the curse of Adam. But he has become like us in every other sense. And so it is in this way that, that the Gospels can proclaim that though he knew no sin... He became sin on our behalf so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This same power whereby the second person of the triune 
God becomes one of us, Mary declares, will be manifested in his just rule on the earth. She goes on to, to explain the significance as she is being able to connect the dots. Oh my, the Messiah is being conceived in my womb by the Holy Spirit. Whoa. And then she understands, oh, this power that is at work in my womb is going to be at work in the world. The birth of Christ, Mary realizes, signals the final deliverance of God's people and the judgment of the wicked. Mary's confidence that her son will accomplish these things is exemplified in the fact is as we look in verses 51 and following, all that she says is spoken of in the past tense. You notice that? Look in verse 51. She goes on and she says, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Now how is it that Mary can speak of these things that we haven't even seen? The Christ has come and judged the wicked. He has sent the rich away empty. He has exalted the lowly. He has dethroned all the rulers. How is it that she's able to speak of these things as if they have been done? When we stand here today and they have not. How is she able to do that? Well, in her mind, the work of God's redemption is as good as done. What has begun in her womb has signaled that the work is done. Though yet, it's not, right? But she can speak of it. We we know of that. We we speak of that that great text in Romans 8, 28. That he whom he is justified, he is also glorified, right? We haven't been glorified, but it's as good as done in Christ. And we could speak of it as a finished work. And so while these things are spoken of in the past tense in our, in our, our text, there is a future-orientedness to this, isn't there? There's a confidence that Jesus' rule will, on the one hand, notice, judge every moral evil, verse 41 or 51. She has a confidence that her son is going to come and judge every moral evil. What he's mean by there, he scatters the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's going to send them away. Not only that, verse 52, he's going to dethrone every human rule. She knows that her son is going to be the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And she knows that he is going to enact vengeance upon all those who have trusted in their riches and have not trusted the God who has made them. Those who have sought to live for themselves will go away empty. But on the other hand, she knows her son's rule will exalt the lowly. That just as she has found favor in God's sight, she's a nobody in the world. She's an absolute no one. But yet God knows her. Guess what, brothers and sisters? Because of what God has done in Christ, God knows you. 
and he will exalt us. He will exalt the lowly and he will satisfy the hunger of our souls. So while at the present time, brothers and sisters, it doesn't look like Jesus is on the throne, does it? It doesn't look like we're exalted. But the incarnation gives us confidence that these things will be so at his return. These things are true. And for this reason, we join in Mary's praise and magnify him for his power. And so as we can look back on Mary's life, we can also now see that God has shown himself to be faithful. And in fact, that's what she praises him for. That's the third thing she praises him for. She magnifies the Lord for his faithfulness. I want you to see this. Look, come back to verse 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and, his, and holy is his name. <clears throat> He's done great things, and holy is his name. We need to understand what Mary understands here. All God's actions arise from within himself. This means that God always acts according to his character. That's what she's magnified. Holy is his name. She's reflecting on his greatness, what his power is, his deliverance through this Messiah. And she says, holy is his name because he acts according to his character. And Mary knows that he's in holy. That holiness befits his character so much that it's equated with his name. How, how more closely can you associate God? By saying his name is holy. One's name is the epitome of who you are. It's your identity. God's identity is holiness. And God's holiness speaks of his moral purity, his moral perfections, as John writes, he is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Everything about who God is and what he does, get this, is right, it is good, and it is beautiful. It is holy. Everything God does is right, good, and beautiful. Why is that? Because God can only do that which is according to his nature. And that's who God is. God cannot act contrary to himself. He cannot deny himself. He cannot do anything contrary to his nature. And so consequently, because God is holy, we know he's faithful to his promises. And this is how Mary kind of unfolds that last phrase, holy is his name. Because in verse 54, she, she concludes by saying, he has helped his servant Israel. How? How has he helped Israel? How has he honored Israel in their helpless estate? By remembrance of his mercy. In remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. What is Mary reflecting on? Mary understands that the coming of the Messiah is in keeping with God's covenant promises to Israel. He is keeping his promises. He is doing what he said he would do. He has not forgotten his mercy. He is acting in remembrance of his 
mercy. This mercy speaks of his covenant-keeping love. And the Old Testament's often uh, coined this way, his steadfast love. His steadfast love is his mercy. It's his love which he has set upon, in this case, Abraham. By which he called him out of darkness and set his love upon him. And says, I will make out of you a great nation and kings will come. Your offspring, your child is going to bring my blessings to the world. There is going to come a child to Abraham, God told him. By which I will reverse the curse. And blessing will come upon all who blesses you. All who fears my name. All who believes in this child. All who have a faith like Abraham. Who believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. God set his love upon Abraham and his offspring, his children. Promising to raise up a child who will bring the blessing of God to all the families of the earth. And guess what? What we find out throughout the rest of the New Testament is that whoever believes in this child, whoever puts their faith and trust in who Jesus is and what he has done on the cross and his resurrection, guess what? You get brought into these promises. These promises that he is keeping to Israel, he brings you in. He adopts you into his family. He brings you into the commonwealth of Israel and to the citizens of the saints. He has adopted us into a family to inherit a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so my friends, do you see? God has done great things in the virgin birth of Christ for you. He's done great things. He who is mighty. And because he has shown himself faithful, you can trust, you can rest that he will come again and he will keep his promises he will come to judge the living and the dead and he will bring us into his glorious kingdom and he will exalt us. He will give us new names, new robes. He will make us like pillars in his kingdom, in his temple. He will wipe away every tear and we will walk in the light of the glory of God and enjoy him forever and ever and ever. Those moments of a great exubilation that we share in God that are just a taste. And often, just in our hearts, they, they, they're just a flurry. They're just a, a, there for a moment. They're like a vapor off the coffee cup. It's there, and then it disappears. It will never disappear in his kingdom. All because of what God has done through this woman. He who is mighty has done great things. And so Mary's Christmas song helps us remember God's mercy, helps us remember God's power and God's faithfulness in Christ so that our souls may magnify him and be overwhelmed with his joy. And it's my prayer that you too can say with Mary today, he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are mighty and have done great things for us in Christ. Holy is your name. 
And so for this reason, Lord, our souls magnify you and our spirits rejoice in you, our Savior. Jesus, we thank you. God, we we thank you that in Christ you have looked upon our helpless state. While we were trapped in our sins and held captive by the evil one, you have shown your everlasting mercy toward us who fear you. You have done that for us. And so with Mary's song, Lord, we long for the day when you will come again and you will scatter the proud. You will bring down the mighty who oppose you and you will exalt your children. We long for that day. We hunger and we thirst. Our souls long for the day, Lord, when you will give us our fill with good things that come from your hand. Thank you for remembering your promises and bringing us into them through faith in your son, Jesus. Amen.